But I'd, I'd like us to begin on this Pentecost Sunday um, to uh, have a look at Galatians chapter 5. Now, for those of you who didn't know that it was Pentecost Sunday, uh, Pentecost Sunday is what, what was originally a harvest festival in Israel, and that's why there were so many Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Um, and in the book of Acts, we read, uh, this was after Jesus' ascension, 10 days after Jesus' ascension, we read how all of the disciples are gathered in one room and suddenly there is a sound like a mighty wind. There are tongues of flame that come and stay upon each of the apostles' head and they are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other languages so that the people in Jerusalem can hear the good news of Jesus in their own language. So that's what we're celebrating today, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That's something that happened for the disciples on the day of Pentecost, but it happens to each one of us the moment we accept and receive the Lord Jesus Christ into our hearts. Uh, he comes and lives in us through his Holy Spirit. There's a lot to celebrate today, and we'll get to that a little bit further. But the passage that I want to focus on deals with the practical difference the Holy Spirit can make in our hearts and lives. So as I say, if you've got a page in front of you, have a look at Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 16. Paul says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. That is, that you're not trying to make yourself right with God by obeying the Mosaic law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, not because uh, they are evil and wicked, but because it shows that they clearly haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In chapter 6 and verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. This is God's Word. In this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul gives us a picture 
I believe, of a life worth living. Verse uh, uh, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know about you, but this is the kind of life that I would like to live. I would like to be a more loving person. I would like to be a more joyful person. I'd like to be a more peaceful person. Uh, that, and, and, and often I am not those things, especially on a Sunday morning. <laughs> I'm normally stressed out of my bracket when I'm trying to talk to you <laughs> before the service. And so for those of you who have experienced the opposite of these characteristics in my life, I apologize immediately. But this is the kind of life that God offers us through his Holy Spirit. I think, though, that many Christians misunderstand these verses. When we read these characteristics, we think that these are things that we need to work on in our lives. I need to be a more joyful person. I need to be a more loving person. I need to develop some self-control. And perhaps after reading the passage, we even try to put these things into practice in the week that lies ahead. So I think to myself, well, this week I'm going to work on joy. I'm going to be a more joyful person. And so I deliberately make an effort to listen to worship music uh, in my car or when I'm doing the dishes. Uh, I deliberately try to have a positive attitude at work. Uh, I try to hum hymns to myself as I'm wandering around pick and pay. And maybe it works. Maybe I become a more joyful person. Maybe it doesn't work. And then the next week I think to myself, well, this week I'll work on patience. I must develop some patience in my life. But notice two things about the characteristics that Paul speaks about in these verses. Firstly, notice the use of the singular fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not the fruits of the Holy Spirit, as if we can pick and choose from among them. Unfortunately, we're not allowed to say, well, I'm very good at patience, but I'm not particularly good at self-control. All of these characteristics are supposed to be evident in our lives. But secondly, and more importantly, is the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is a byproduct and not an action. So did you notice that in verse 19, Paul speaks about the acts of the sinful nature being obvious, but in verse 22, he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the actions of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. We don't produce the fruit of the Spirit by action, by trying to produce fruit. Rather, these characteristics are a byproduct of something else. And that something else is found in the four action phrases in these verses. Paul doesn't say, be more loving, be more kind, develop self-control. No, he says, verse 16, live by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In chapter 6 and verse 7, he speaks about the one who sows to please the Spirit. I think, in fact, that last action is key. We don't produce the fruit of the Spirit directly by trying. 
Instead, the fruit of the Spirit grows in our lives as we sow to please the Spirit. Did you notice in chapter 6 and verses 7 and 8 that Paul says that there are two fields into which we can sow. We can sow to our earthly spiritual nature. We can sow things like gossip and anger and lust. We can sow those things. And if we sow to our earthly nature, he says, we'll reap destruction. But alternatively, we can sow to please the Spirit. And when we do that, we reap eternal life, he says, which is not just life in heaven one day, but a quality of life right here and now, characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What does it mean to sow to please the Spirit? What does it mean to live by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit? Well, of course, the main question then is, well, who is the Spirit? (laughs) That will give us a key. And, of course, the question, who is the Holy Spirit, is a massive question. Where where do you begin? Uh, Perhaps in the book of Genesis, where we read about the Holy Spirit hovering over the chaotic, dark waters, about to speak life and creation. There's so much that we could say, but let's just have a look at two passages of Scripture, which are there on your sheet of paper. The next one, John 14 and John 16. We're going to park the question of how do we sow to the Spirit and live by the Spirit, and let's just have a little bit of a look at what Jesus has to say about who the Holy Spirit is. And these are words that the Lord Jesus spoke the night before he died on the cross, that Thursday evening, um, the night that he was betrayed after his crucifixion, or before, rather, his crucifixion the next day. Let's have a look at what he says to his disciples. John 14 from verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then John 16, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said that the Spirit will take from what is mine and will make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Now that is a massive passage of Scripture in every possible way. There's too much that we, for us to look at, but let me pick up on a couple of things. Some of you may know that the word counselor is the word parakletos. Uh, There are a number of different ways in which that word can be translated. Uh, The old NIV chose to translate the word as counselor. Uh, That sometimes produces pictures of people lying on a sofa and talking to a therapist. Um, The new NIV translates the word as advocate, which isn't a bad option because the word does have legal connotations. In fact, in some contexts, we call lawyers counselor, don't we? It's got legal connotations. Um, Some translations speak about a comforter, and that raises images of little kids running around with blankets. I think the word best describes a close friend who is called alongside to help in times of trouble, especially legal trouble. I've got a few lawyer friends, and if I ever found myself in trouble, I would be very glad to have a lawyer friend come alongside and help me. So this is the person that Jesus is promising to us, another counselor. When he uses the word another, there are two Greek words for another. The one Greek word means another of a similar kind, And uh, the other word means another of the same kind. And it's that second word that Jesus uses here. He's saying that I'm going to give you someone who is exactly the same as me. Just just to say that it's important to keep the personal pronouns here. The Holy Spirit is is never an it. It's always a, a he. He's a person, a personality, not a commodity. And we can say that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Chapter 14 and verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Another exactly the same as Jesus. And In fact, if you look at the Holy Spirit's 
job description, if you like. It's the same as that of the Lord Jesus. Jesus comes from the Father. He's sent by the Father. He doesn't speak on his own. He speaks what the Father gives him. In the same way, the Spirit comes from Jesus, is sent from Jesus, and speaks only what Jesus tells him to speak. The Spirit then is sent to continue the work of Christ, uh, to be in his place. In fact, later on in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is often called the Spirit of Jesus or the Spirit of Christ. As Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And the Holy Spirit comes and he takes up permanent residence in our hearts. And this is a very good thing. Chapter 16 and verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We spoke a little bit about this on Ascension Day, about the fact that Jesus has gone from us, but in fact, in giving us his Holy Spirit, he is very near, and this is a good thing. In 1897, a man called Henry Drummond wrote a little book called The Ideal Life, in which he said this, Suppose Jesus had not gone away. Suppose he were here on earth now. Suppose he was still in the Holy Land, in Jerusalem. Every ship that started for the east would be crowded with Christian pilgrims. Every train flying through Europe would be thronged with people going to see Jesus. You yourself, let us say, are in one of those ships. The port when you arrive after the long voyage is blocked with vessels of every flag. With much difficulty you land and join one of the long trains starting for Jerusalem. Far as the eye can reach, the caravans move over the desert in an endless stream. You don't mind the scorching sun, the choking dust, the elbowing crowds, the burning sands. You're in the Holy Land and you will see Jesus. Yonder at last in the far distance are the glittering spires of the Holy Hill. Above all, the burnished temple dome beneath which he sits. But what is that dark, seething mass stretching for leagues and leagues between you and the holy city? They have come from the north and from the south and from the east and from the west, as you have, to look upon their Lord. But it cannot be. You've come to see Jesus, but you will never see him. They've been there for weeks, months, years, and have not seen him. They are a yard or two nearer, and that is all. The thing is impossible. It's an anticlimax, an absurdity. It would be a social outrage. It would be a physical impossibility. But through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is not confined to one place. And you and I don't have to get onto a ship or onto an airplane or onto anything else Jesus is immediately accessible to us at any time, at any moment, all through the day, all through the night. We have immediate access to him through the Holy Spirit. One New Testament scholar puts it like this. He says, the Holy Spirit is the personal presence of Jesus in and with the Christian while Jesus is with the Father. And if you think about it, it's utterly amazing that the Holy, the Holy Spirit lives within you and me. I don't know about you, but I'm not holy. <laughs> 
fact, there's a, a wonderful Christmas poem that expresses something of this, if it's appropriate to read a Christmas poem on Pentecost. But I, th I think you'll know what I mean. It was written by Leslie Leland Fields, and it's speaking about the stable at Christmas time. She writes, Let the stable still astonish, straw dirt floor, dull eyes, dusty flanks of donkeys, oxen, crumbling crooked walls, no bed to carry that pain. And then the child, rag-wrapped, laid to cry in a trough. Who would have chosen this? Who would have said, yes, let the God of heaven be born in this place? Who but the same God who stands in the darker, fouler room of our hearts and says, yes, let the God of heaven and earth be born in this place. The God of heaven and earth, the Holy Spirit, takes up permanent residence in our lives. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? And then just to emphasize again that the main task of the Holy Spirit is to focus our attention on Jesus. Verse 26 there, The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. When Jesus says he will tell you about what is to come, uh, from Jesus' perspective the night before his death, that is speaking about his death and resurrection. In other words, the Holy Spirit makes Jesus alive to us. He explains the Christ event. He explains the, Christ, the scriptures that point to Christ. Well, chapter 16 and verse 14, He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Someone has pointed out that the work of the Holy Spirit is a lot more like a floodlight than a Christmas light. At Christmas time, you can drive down Adderley Street and see the Christmas lights. Uh, they are a magnificent display, and many other countries have similar displays of Christmas lights. And the aim of a Christmas light is to be admired for its own sake. You drive down Adderley Street and you say, look at the lights. But perhaps after driving down Adderley Street, you then drive down past St. George's Cathedral. I think that the Archbishop would be very upset if I were to say to him, you know, I drove past St. George's Cathedral and you have marvelous floodlights. <laughs> A floodlight isn't seen. It lights up St. George's Cathedral so that you can admire the cathedral. And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit doesn't take attention for himself. Rather, he shines the light onto Jesus and allows us to see the Lord Jesus in all of his glory and beauty. So the Holy Spirit mediates Jesus to us. There's so much more that we could look at in these verses. He is the spirit of permanence. He's always with us. The spirit of peace, the spirit of promise, the fact that we experience a little bit of the Holy Spirit now is a promise that one day we will see Jesus face to face. He's the spirit of purity, the spirit of conviction, the one who teaches us, the one who gives us the ability and the strength to witness to him. 
The Holy Spirit is not a power outside of ourselves that we wield or control like the force in Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is a person who lives inside of us. And so the question is never, how much of the Holy Spirit do I have, as if I can control him? Rather, the question is always, how much of me does the Holy Spirit have? So let's come back to Galatians chapter 5 and answer the question I asked earlier. What does it mean then to sow to the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit? I think that sowing to the Spirit includes engaging in activities on a regular basis that allow us to connect with God, to keep in contact with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Activities that Jesus himself engaged in. So things like Bible reading, and prayer, and worship, silence and solitude, fasting, stewardship, simplicity, evangelism, fellowship, corporate worship and study. Through these activities, we pause and we give our full attention to that still, small voice within us. The reality is that Jesus lives within us through his Holy Spirit, and we can turn our care and our time and our attention to him at any time. The problem is, though, that there are always distractions, aren't there? Now, I'd like us to do something a little bit different this morning. I want us to do a group participation exercise. Are you up for this? Okay, Reg, I'm going to need your help as well. And if you wouldn't mind blindfolding Kirsty, your daughter, this is very easy. All you have to do to blindfold someone is move a mask and put it over their eyes. There we go. Great. <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind just standing her in the aisle next to you, carefully. All right. And, and just twirl her around a little bit. Okay. All right, great. Now, okay, so all I'm going to do is, okay, Reg, you can sit down. So, Kirsty, I'm, I'm going to give you some directions, and I just want you to listen to my voice and uh, do what I tell you, if that's all right. Okay. So, so Kirsty, I just want you to turn around. Just turn around. There we go. Okay, now uh, a little bit more to your right. Just a tiny bit more to your right. I mean, turn your body a little bit to the right. Okay, a little bit more to the left, just a tiny bit to the left. There we go. Okay, now, now you can walk slowly and take a few steps forward. There we go, and a few steps more. You're doing fine. You're doing great. Okay, okay, you're, you're doing awesome. You can keep going. You, there's nothing in front of you. You're perfectly fine. Okay, stop. Okay, turn a little bit to your left. Sorry, I mean, sorry, so, so am I, actually. Can you turn a little bit to your right? <laughs> okay, all right. Now keep walking forward. Keep walking. Okay, stop again a little bit to your left. That's it. Okay. Now, slight right. Very slight right. There we go. Okay. Keep walking. Keep walking. Keep. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. Mind that stick here, which I mentioned. Okay. And stop. Yeah. Yeah. You've done really great. Okay. You can take your blindfold off. Thank you very much. Great. Okay. Now, just go stand back with your da dad. Okay. Well done. Well done. That's awesome. Okay. But now, hold on. We're gonna we're gonna do that again. Okay. Okay. So, would you mind just blindfolding Kirsty again? 
spinning around. These masks are so handy, aren't they? Who would have thought? <laughs> okay, so get it, yep, do exactly what we did. Grab her, spin her around. All right. Awesome, fantastic. Okay, now we're going to give Kirsty directions, but what I want is I want us all at the same time to give Kirsty directions. Okay, you ready? One, two, three. All right, Kirsty, turn to the left. Okay, turn to the right. Okay, um, okay, a little bit to your left. Okay, keep, keep going. We all need to give her directions. Give her directions. All right, okay, I think you get the point. <laughs> Well done. Look at you. You're all really good at giving directions, aren't you? <laughs> Listening to the Holy Spirit means getting out in the quiet at the beginning of the day with him before the rest of the noise of the day starts. The very best thing that we can do is when we get out of bed <laughs> is to immediately turn our thoughts and our attention to God. We can get out of bed, we open up his word, and we listen to his voice as it's recorded for us in the scriptures. Uh, we spend time praying to him, just opening up our, our lives before him and saying, Lord Jesus, in the rest of this day, I want to follow you. But we do it in the quietness of the beginning of the day. Or perhaps we do it in the quietness of the church before we come into the service. Or perhaps we take an afternoon off and we go for a walk next to the sea. Or we go for a walk in Kirsten Bosch Gardens or next to the canal. And we just quieten our hearts and we listen to that still small voice. But if we don't tune into that voice at the very beginning of the day or at regular intervals, we don't hear the voice because there are so many other voices shouting for our attention. And sowing to the Spirit, reading God's Word, spending time with Him, just in quiet. You don't have to always pray when you're in God's presence. You can just go for a walk along the canal and say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that you're with me as I'm walking. And you can just enjoy His company or when you're next to the sea, spending time worshiping Him, thanking Him, um, just commenting on the different things that you see around you. But just that still, small voice, it's so important. And it's important also to be reading the scriptures because that's the sound of his voice. And sometimes later in the day we might hear something from someone else and there's just a jarring note that reminds us, no, this can't be God speaking to me because he doesn't speak with the same voice. Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So sowing to the Spirit, I believe, involves all of those spiritual exercises that just turn our thoughts and our attention on God. And then living by the Spirit, being led by Him, keeping in step with Him, means obeying His voice. It's no good just hearing His voice. We have to obey what He says. Not listening and not obeying leads us to grieve the Holy Spirit or quench him or resist him, things that the New Testament specifically warn us against. So let me end with this illustration. Uh, one writer puts it like this. He says, if you were to go out on the water, you have two types of boat that you can use. You could use a power boat. 
And in a powerboat, you have total control. You start the engine, you head off in a straight line towards your destination, and you get there very quickly. Alternatively, you could use a sailboat. Here, you do not have total control. Rather, you must identify which way the wind is blowing and set your sails to catch the wind. You probably won't be able to head straight to your destination, but will need to zigzag across the bay. And the speed at which you move will largely be determined by the strength at which the breeze is blowing. Although, although there is much about the powerboat that is attractive, living a life attuned to the Spirit is more like being in a sailboat with the Spirit as the breeze. We need to identify what it is the Spirit is doing and then work in harmony with the Spirit to move forward. Very often we will not be heading in a straight line towards the goal and the place, at, at, and the place we wish to reach and the pace at which we move will largely be determined by the Spirit. And so in this week that lies ahead, let us live by the Spirit, not gratifying the desires of our flesh, in fact, putting them to death. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. And as we do that, over time, His fruit will become evident in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's bow together as we close in prayer.